0: Hi, welcome to the seventh episode of the Flesh and Gold podcast. My name is Jen Beatty. Over the last few months, I've thought of a thousand different ways to introduce you to the Brown family, as Eric Brown shares the remarkable story of his little girl Pearl. I could tell you about the humility on their life, how it's beyond anything I've ever seen on anyone. I could tell you about their value system and how it stretches one beyond human reasoning and into the heart of the father. I could tell you about their honesty and vulnerability and how it invites your heart into safety and home. And I can tell you that Eric Brown is literally one of the most gracious people I've ever met and I would not be exaggerating about any of it. If I could sum up my personal experience working with this family during the last few months, I would tell you that their life has caused me to take a reassessment on where I'm going and what I want out of my life and how I want to live it. They have reminded me that my strength is found in my weakness and that the grace of God is sufficient. They have shown me how to sit at the table of affliction and look for abundance. Eric has a blog called Disproportionate Joy, and I don't think I could find a more appropriate title for such a life as theirs. I have often prayed over this interview for those who will listen, and what I have asked for is that you will experience a new depth in the intricate and personal love of God that isn't based on your merit, your strength, or your giftings, but a love that is targeted towards you simply because you are fearfully and wonderfully formed by the one who knows your weakness and has loved you from the beginning.
1: Hi, Eric.
2: Hey, Jen. How are you?
1: Good. Thank you so much for letting me um, ask you millions of questions over the last three months and for telling us the story of your daughter, Pearl, today.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for being willing to and asking us to be a part.
1: I love it. Um, A lot of my friends actually have heard about you, but we do not have any mutual friends. But you are from Nashville. So, would you be able to just introduce yourself and where you live and a little bit about your family?
2: Sure. I'm Eric Brown. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, My wife is Ruth. We've been married for 13 years, as of this past May. And we have three kids Brennan, who is nine, Abigail, who is seven, and then Pearl, who will be five in July.
1: Great. And I actually found you through a picture of Pearl on Instagram. Um, it was so moving, and I kind of contacted you through your photography business because that's what it's sort of linked to. That's how I found you. So um, Pearl has such a great story. Your family has been so impactful for me. It's actually been very life-changing over the past few months. And so would you mind just starting from the beginning and telling us a little bit about the beginning of Pearl's story?
2: Absolutely. Um, she was our third child. She was, uh we hoped for her and planned for her and attempted for her and found out in December that we were pregnant um, and then went in March for the 20-week ultrasound to find out whether we were having a boy or a girl and found out we were having a girl and then found out this whole multitude of complications, um, yeah. and the advice we were given that day was to go ahead and induce labor and let her pass and go home and try again.
1: How many weeks was 20. that when they told you that? 20. yeah. 20. They're not viable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so they um, did tell you to, they encouraged you to terminate, but you guys were adamant, so you want to real quick just tell a little bit about your doctor's response?
2: Sure. Uh, He was upset. So we had done the ultrasound and then went back to Ruth's midwife. And she had been the midwife with our other two children. And so there was a lot of history there and definitely a friendship. Um, She walked in and before she could get the words out of her mouth, just broke down in tears. Um, Mm, Yeah. And told us, you know all of it, that she understood that was going on, but then was quick to say, I'm a midwife and I don't really understand all the implications of the diagnoses, but what they're telling me is that you need to go see this specialist when you leave here. Uh And so we went to see him, and he was mm-hmm. an older man. And honestly, he, he pulled out this, this old medical encyclopedia, um, you know, old granny black and white photos of, yeah. Of really intense scenarios, I guess you would say. Um, and, yeah, read us through that, and then was just kind of like, yeah, let's go ahead and do this. We can do this today. And mm-hmm. we said, you know, that's, that's not a good option. That's not what we're aiming for. Obviously, if she's doing okay today, um, there's no reason to try to hinder mm-hmm. that Um Yeah, he got angry and and basically said, there's nothing else I can do for you, so I can advise you to some other doctor. And and maybe legitimately there was nothing else he could do. Yeah. Maybe his his role involved that more so than a long-term care plan. Um, But every doctor that we met with after that, you know, we had those hard conversations and Every other appointment right there on the front end, they'd want to have the discussion of of quitting and delivering early um and to the point we were finally like, "Hey, we've already made up our mind, and yeah it it would serve all of us well if you would just stop bringing that up. There's nothing you're going to say that's going to change our mind and they were quick to to agree and say, "Okay, well, we never have to bring that up again. Let's move on." So we had a rough experience with him, but that wasn't the norm for most of the prenatal care that we received for her.
1: Well, that's good. Did they um, know her diagnosis concretely from the sonograms, or was it something that you guys figured out a little bit later?
2: Uh, No, they knew it pretty completely. So basically, the underlying condition is called holoprosencephaly, Mm
1: -hmm. and that means
2: Pearl's brain did not split in utero. Um, And so when they saw that with the ultrasound, they just saw that one really teeny tiny hollow lobe and didn't see a traditionally split brain. Um, And so that affects everything else. But, yeah, they were pretty keen on it from the get-go.
1: So what are some of the um, generalities or commonalities of children that actually have this condition?
2: Um well, it's a I don't know if they would say it's a spectrum disorder, but there is a wide spectrum of of possible outcomes okay. and Pearls was on the more severe end um but then you know there's there's plenty of other people that the only sign that they actually have it is they have a single incisor in front instead of two front teeth um oh, okay. And there's some there's many, been many parents who found out that oh I had hollow when they would start to die or unpack how their child
1: had come up with that. Oh okay okay. So it kind
2: of runs the gamut.
1: Yeah. So when she was born, um, you guys you guys were in the hospital, and so could you tell us a little bit about her birth and a little bit about those few weeks following?
2: Sure. Um, it was a really hard and sweet day. Um, we had kind of walked Pearl's older siblings through a, a great deal of what to expect, and we had dropped them in a friend's house this morning, and then we went to the doctor to, to check Ruth and kind of see where we were at with things. Okay. And the the result was we need to go ahead and deliver today. Um, and I just remember, wow, this is a really hard memory. I haven't really talked about it much, but I remember the, the drive from the hospital to, so we made the excuse like, oh, we didn't pack a bag. We need to go home yeah. and pack bags and then we'll go. We just kind of wanted to delay the inevitable as long as we could. Um, so we went home and Let me to interrupt you. Is that, that because,
1: because yep, I'm sorry, did you, um, Was part of that wanting to delay, how many weeks was um, Ruth at this point pregnant? Uh, I think she was at 36. Oh, okay. No. You were good.
2: So the delay, the wanting to delay was knowing almost certainly that the same moment we were saying hello, we were going to say goodbye. Mm. And Mm -hmm. that we knew that Pearl was safe where she was.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, sorry. Oh
1: no, it's okay. Thank <sighs> you. We had kind of gotten
2: used to, we had gotten used to this scenario that when Ruth and I and Brandon and Abby would sit down for a meal and Pearl was there. We we couldn't see her, but she was there inside of Ruth, and she was safe. And we had really kind of come to uh, love this little scenario where. Where Pearl was safe and Ruth's body was keeping her alive. Mm-hmm. And it was the five of us that would go and do things, and we went on the vacation together. Yeah, and so that drive, we we went, packed the bag, and then went to see Brennan and Abby. They were staying with a friend, and I think it was at that moment that Brennan said, "Hey, do did, did they think that Pearl is?" He used the word sick. He didn't know any other word but he said do they think that she's yeah. so sick that she's not going to live and we said yeah buddy that's that's kind of what we're expecting hmm. and he broke down and then I broke down and we all broke down and it was just really 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 hard and then that drive to the hospital after that I just wanted to keep driving I didn't want to take that exit that took us to the hospital where we were going to take Pearl out of her her safe zone where she was comfortable and cared for and we were gonna yank her out of there and wish her the best knowing full well she wasn't equipped.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, And then we get to the hospital and they give us the really bad news that, hey, if if this comes to an emergency section in the delivery, um, C-section is not gonna be an option. We are not gonna risk Ruth's health for the sake of Pearl. And we kind of thought we had already been through that with them and decided the exact opposite. Yeah. Um, but I remember having a pretty intense discussion about that. Then her midwife kind of coming in after everybody else clears the room and she's like, hey, I'm fighting for you guys and I'm fighting for Pearl and don't worry about what we just discussed. We'll cross that bridge if and when we get here. But I am here to advocate and don't worry with that we used a midwife service at the hospital yeah um, so she was very used to working in conjunction with the team there and so they had a lot of history and relationship and she had a lot of pool and how things were going to go down in the delivery room um and then they talked through again the interventions that hey if if She's coming out and she's not breathing. We're not intervening. Um, Basically, it was kind of a steamroll of we're going to let nature take its course, and we all had assumed the outcome of that. And I feel like they had assumed the same outcome. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know why there at the last minute they decided to lay it all on us. After we had had previous discussions. Yeah. Um, But we were quick to speak up and say, you know, if she comes out and she's not breathing let's clear her airway. Let's let's try to suction some things and see what's going on. Don't just assume that it's this and that she's got no fight and she's not worth fighting for. Yeah. Um, but she came out fighting like a boss. Um, <laughs> it had been a, and Ruth disagrees substantially with me on this. And so I'm probably lying and don't know that I'm lying. But I remember... Two pushes. Um, <laughs> the contractions had gotten more intense. I
1: might she'll have tell to you they were two Ruth. pushes. I might have to side with Ruth on this. You might you have go
2: to. But she'll Sorry. tell you there was two pushes, and they didn't seem like very much, anything really extreme to me. The second one, um, the contractions were getting more intense. We had already decided no epidural, no nothing other than laughing gas, for the very reason that if Pearl had five minutes of us, Ruth yeah. didn't want to be cloudy for any of that. She wanted to be fully present mm-hmm. for all of it. Um so the first round of contractions had had come in. Um no it was only one push. It was only one push. And I and the the midwife was like, do not push. We are not ready for push. I think she was like at four centimeters and she was like absolutely do not Let's call the guy with the laughing gas. Um, guy comes in with his tank of nitrous. It was his first day at work. Oh, my gosh. And was walking Ruth through how to use it. And right as she, she does her, like, first inhale of the gas, she let out a scream, and she was laying there on the bed. She pulled up, laying on her back. I'm sitting at the foot of her bed, or I'm standing at, the head of her bed, the nerd, or the midwife, is sitting on the foot of her bed. Yeah. And she says, I think Pearl's here. And we were like, what? Um yeah. But I remember the moment she pulled back the the sheet. and it was a flood of a million questions. One, what do you actually look like?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Are you here? Are you already gone? Are you on your way out? Are you going to fight? What are you doing?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and she pulled back the bed sheet and there was this tiny little girl laying on the bed and we rolled her over and she let out a cry and honestly she was the most adorable thing I'd ever seen
3: my first initial thought
2: was you look like a little muppet because she was so fuzzy and she had these huge magnificent
3: eyes Mm -hmm.
2: um, and didn't have a nose And I was just like, well, you're the most adorable Muppet I've ever met in my life. Mm. Um, But she came out fighting. And leading up, sorry, I've got to backtrack. Leading up to that, the plan had been um, when it looks like we're a couple hours away from delivery. We're calling Ruth's sister, who had Brennan and Abby, and they're going to be there waiting outside the door. Um, They were going to curtain off a corner of the delivery room filled with all sorts of doctors and specialists. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And the goal was if she comes out fighting, these guys are going to kind of bust in like the SWAT team and Mm -hmm. take over and and help her fight. And if she was stillborn, they had a door that they could quietly exit the room and we would never really know that they had been there. Um, But so all this kind of happened in a whirlwind where no one was expecting it to happen like it did. Yeah. So she got onto the little nurse's call button on the hospital bed, and you know, rallied the troops, and they came storming oh. in, and Ruth's sister brought the kids. Um, it was the sweetest night of my life. Um, sorry, I'm rambling, but
3: this no, is no, fascinating.
2: I never tell this story anymore. It was incredible, and they they took her and. <clears throat> kind of evaluated did the footprints and temperature and all that kind of stuff and then we had a photographer friend who was going to show up and we did a round of of family photos there in the hospital room again still thinking man like we've got just a few precious moments with you and Mm -hmm. i never want to forget any of this Mm -hmm. but uh one of the the greatest disruptions of my life was when the head of the NICU came over and she said, "Hey, you know what? If, if she is going to fight, we need to fight with her, and you guys really need to wrap up your little photo shoot that you're doing." And she was so abrasive, and I loved it yeah. so much because it, it it was business time. You know, it was time to get to work, and and as condescending as I think she was trying to be in the moment, it was. Unbelievably encouraging. Um, so they whipped her away to the NICU. You know, maybe an hour or two after being born, and we finally took a nap and woke up, and Pearl was still with us. And yeah, our whole world stopped for those first few days. Um, Real quick,
1: let me just backtrack. Did the kid? Were the kids able to get there? before the new yes. incident? Yes, right. Okay. Yep. So yep. I want to ask you about that actually. Um, I we had talked and I know that you guys were hearing it from the doctors about just all the pressure that was on you. But in your personal life too, there were people that were um kind of warning you or, or not really in agreement with the fact that you were gonna you guys wanted the children to meet Pearl, Brennan and Abby. So I would just love to know how you guys made the decision. Not only, I mean, obviously they bonded, like you said, over vacations, but tell me how um, and why you guys made the decision to just involve the siblings, even if you weren't sure if it would just be a few moments or a few minutes that Pearl would get to bond with her siblings.
2: So, a, a lot of what the doctors had told us from what they were seeing on the ultrasounds, even all the way up until that ultrasound, the morning before she was born. Um, They painted a pretty intense picture for how Pearl looked, that her eyes were not set in her skull, um, that her ears were on her neck, um, that she had no facial tissue in between her eyes and her chin. I don't know why we weren't substantially intimidated by it. We just weren't. Um, we had planned you know from the moment we got the diagnosis that for whatever time Pearl is gonna be with us, we're walking the five of us are gonna walk this together um, and it really upset a lot of a lot of professionals and friends and family, even um the the idea that we were gonna bring them into the room to see someone who looked like pearl um her humanity was never lost on us and maybe that's just an easy thing for parents um but we were told you know britain and abby are going to flip out when they see her and they're going to be terrified and they're Mm going to run out of the hospital room in your darkest most painful hour you've ever had um and not only are you going to scar them, but you're going to compound the pain that you're experiencing in that moment. But when when you hear somebody say that about your kid, it goes in one ear and out the other and doesn't stop in the middle, at least for us. Maybe for other families, it has stopped in the middle. But to, yeah. to hear someone talk as though your newborn child is going to terrify your older kids and they're not going to want anything to do with them. It was just like confusing foreign language. Like that doesn't even make sense to me. And they could have been right. Maybe they had seen it happen in, yeah. in other situations. I don't know where friends and family got it from. But I will say this. I think coming from friends and family that it was... I, I honestly think they were expressing their own fears and putting those fears on my kids. Yeah. Um, they were expressing how terrified they actually were, how uncomfortable they actually were, how worried that they were that their reaction was going to be. And so they assumed the same for my kids. And the only way they could articulate it, because they can't say, you can't say, man, I'm going to be terrified to meet your child. I, I'm like... I might run out of the hospital room. So instead of saying that, it's much easier just to say, your kids are probably going to go through this.
1: Yeah. But they did the um, opposite, so...
2: They did the opposite. Yeah, tell me. Pearl came out the opposite. I don't know how other people view her, really. Um, she's always been adorable to me, though. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think she is to others from from what they share. But they were enamored with her. They had questions. For sure they had questions. Um, But it was, there was never a desire to not, you know, put hands on her and kiss on her face. I mean, they had a million questions. They did just want to kiss her mouth. Even still, she gives the best kisses because she's got three lips instead of two.
3: Um,
2: (laughs) And that is so much more to appreciate. Oh sweet. Girl. Um, yeah, she's yeah, she's incredible and they were enamored with her from the get go.
1: I know that you said um, just because she you know, she was making it and now now she's in the Nick U, you still had no idea. Nobody had any idea how long or how strong Pearl would be. So what were those first few days like and then when you guys went home? Were you kind of constantly in a state of shock?
2: um the first few days were nothing but sweetness they kind of broke all the NICU rules for our family and I don't know why it was because certainly they deal with these situations all the time for um, those first couple of days was basically an around-the-clock meet-and-greet um, mm. people came in from all over family came in from all over even doctors who worked in other parts of the hospital. So we were at the children's hospital. There was a couple of doctors who came over from the main adult general hospital and people would walk in and they would close the door and they would just start crying. And hmm. you know, would say, Man, I I know so and so who knows so and so who goes to this church, she's been praying for you and I heard about your family and I've been praying and I just want to meet her and explain how I have been changed through this whole process and those were what the first few days were really like and I don't know why they let us have visitors around the clock but it was definitely a gift of grace um, came time to go home uh, and we came home on hospice care and again no nobody's really expecting her to live much longer than she already has.
3: Mhm.
2: And you know, hours started stacking into days and then days started stacking into weeks and she was she just kept hanging around. But there was so many times especially after we left the hospital and, and came home that we thought, you know, she's wrapping up, she's not gonna make it through this night. And we get together and sing hymns and read Bible stories with her. Every once in a while, I'd take a few more photos. Um, but the whole season, we just let everything else stop, and it did. And our community afforded us the opportunity to not do anything other than just
1: be together with Pearl. That's so good. And I know um, you had said that she had a lot of seizures, and those seizures, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you say those seizures actually were kind of what you thought made it look like she was about to pass? Is that, is that right?
2: Yes, that is true. Um, so I don't know how we didn't notice. When I look back at the photos from the delivery room, she was having seizures from the very moment she was born, all of those early pictures of her. She's having seizures, and we just didn't know it. I don't know how the hospital missed it, because they're one of the best children's hospitals in the nation. Um, Maybe they just assumed, because of the way her brain was formed, that this was just going to be kind of what she did, and this was making her stop breathing. Oh, okay. Um, But she would hold her breath with every seizure, and then her oxygen saturation levels would tank, and all the alarms would go off. And you know, if that happens 40 times in an hour, you start to think there's no way you're, you're going to make it through this next hour. People can't survive like that. And at some point, this is going to be over. Uh, and then a buddy of mine who had just finished up his RN school, or maybe he was even still in school. I think he had just finished it. He had come over to meet Pearl, Uh And right off the bat, he said, man, has anybody mentioned seizures? To you guys, because from what I'm observing, she's pretty much constantly having a new seizure. It's just this cycle. Yeah. So no, no one had mentioned that from what we'd read on this disorder that frequently is part of the mix. And so we took her back to the doctor and they're like, yeah, I don't know how we missed this, but certainly she's having a ton mm-hmm. of seizures and we need to figure out what's going on. So all those times that we thought that she was dying early on were just big cycles of seizures, and she would hold her breath, and sometimes it would last so long that she would turn blue. And because we were on hospice care, there was less proactive, long game kind of stuff going on. It was more like, well, let's just medicate her and keep her comfortable. And then, yeah, there was once or twice there where she they overmedicated. And she would land back in the hospital and the hospice oh, company was gosh. like, hey, we're we're not paying for you guys to continue to keep coming back to the hospital right now. Like we're paying for comfort care and she stays home and she dies. And we were like, you know what? I think we're done here. And went and talked with some of the social workers at the hospital and we're okay. like, hey, we're ready to come off of hospice. Let's ditch this do not resuscitate order. And let's figure out a long game plan for Pearl, and they were very willing to in fact, they were apologetic about it, honestly, yeah, there was i I want to avoid the proper noun of where we were, um but there was many discussions of, hey, what we just did with the Brown family. We can never do that again. There was nothing appropriate with how we sent them home and how unprepared they were um. And I think a lot of that is because, you know, even ten years ago, kids like Pearl were not surviving at the rate they are surviving now. Yeah. Um, And so there's a lot of catching up that the medical industry seems to have to do with like, okay, now we've figured out how to make these or help these kids survive longer. Next, we need to figure out the infrastructure with which to do that. We had the technology and the skill set and diagnostic equipment, but the infrastructure had not been there. So maybe they hadn't. Maybe that was the first time they had had a kid like her that they had sent home in the way that we got sent home. Yeah. Um, Because they were extremely apologetic and very much, um, hey, we can't do this again. We went wrong on a lot of fronts, and we didn't know it at the time that they had, because we had we were new here too. So there wasn't yeah. any sort of anger or frustration on our part.
1: Um, it's yeah. because you guys are so merciful a, and awesome.
2: Well, we're still under the same or the care of these same people, so obviously, yeah, you know, we trust them, and what they bring to the table for Pearl is incredible.
1: One of the um, quotes that you told me during this time when she was having seizures and just living in this constant state of, I I can't imagine this, but living in that constant state of not knowing what her last minute would be. Um, A quote that you said was freedom, um, that you said, you and Ruth have found freedom in knowing that God numbered Pearl's days and not feeling that her life hung in the balance based on decisions that you were making. Um, I just love that. And could you share a little bit about I mean that had that had to be a reality. Can you just share with me the reality of why that statement is so important in light of Pearl's health and even in light of her future?
2: Um, I think, like a lot of the perspectives with her, it's probably it's probably a survival mode perspective that that I kind of came in through the back door of that truth where yeah. a lot of the decisions we were faced like the do not resuscitate um, or even more recently the tracheotomy things of that nature um, you can't survive and you can't or at least I can't, maybe some people can I can't move forward with the idea that the decisions I'm making are the ones that actually decide whether or not Pearl lives because uh, I think that is probably a weight that no one is capable of shouldering. You have to, you have to believe that He's sovereign over these things. You have to know yeah. that He numbered her days. Otherwise, you're just going to lose your mind and you're not going to make a decision about anything ever. You know? Yeah.
1: Um, do you guys feel? Do you did you feel the grace to, in that? Like was it something that was just okay? This, there's grace in this.
3: I think, yeah, absolutely. At at the very least,
2: uh, God has used Pearl to teach me that ultimately, not even ultimately, I'm not in control. Like, even before you get to the word ultimately, you're just not in control.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It, yeah. it, It is
2: quite true that ultimately he is, but even on a more minute, personal level, you're not in control. Um. And I think that when you're put in these situations, you have to you have to believe that. I think we would go crazy otherwise. And then it turns out that it was biblical truth the whole time, um, but it just didn't resonate with me until mm-hmm. Pearl. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I do firmly believe that we had wrestled with that before she was even born. That he had numbered her days long before he started building the world. Um, and that there was nothing we could do that was going to mm-hmm. make him pull out his calculator and reevaluate the days that he had planned for Pearl.
1: Yeah. That's good. So when Pearl was about a year old and your the seizures got more under control, do you feel how, – how long – how old was Pearl before you feel like the seizures were under control and you guys didn't live in this place of, like, constant fear? Um, I think we're
2: probably still waiting on that age, though I don't know that we live in fear. There's just a yeah. constant awareness. Um, I think the, the fear probably just kind of tapered off. Um, and we... We kind of just got used to living in the tension.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: but it, it's still very much there. Like We don't think about it every night, but the reality is that every night we go to bed, there's a chance that Pearl is not going to be with us when we wake up.
3: Mm-hmm. If
2: that's the case with everybody. I get that. Um, but it's a more immediate and more certain with her than it is with other people. Does mm-hmm. that make any sense?
1: Yeah, it does, totally. I think you guys have had to wrestle with these questions, um, really at such a young age, and then because they're your child, it's it's just a different ball game.
2: Yeah, very much so.
1: So Pearl's story was um, picked up by the Nashville Post and then the Huffington Post, and you said that you we're able to see the good and the bad of, you know, the best and the worst of humanity. So do you want to just tell us a little bit about that um, that experience?
2: I don't even remember who had done her story first. I think it was the local news channel. Maybe, Maybe there was one degree of separation between us and somebody who worked at the local news and they were looking for you know, a human interest story or whatever it was they were looking for. He reached out and we did that. Um, and then a writer from the the big Tennessee newspaper called The Tennessean had seen that story. I think this is how it went down. I might be wrong. Um, and he called me one day. And he called and introduced himself and said, Hey, I'm the religion writer for The Tennessean. Would love to sit down and do an interview um, but at that time, uh, I, I didn't really know much about that world, and he was—he was just a great guy. So we went and grabbed coffee. Maybe I put more cards on the table than I would now. I don't know that for sure, but I feel like some of the things that I said, not knowing I was going to be quoted
3: on. mm
2: mm-hmm. Um. I just kind of felt the liberty to say it because for my world that I operate in, we all just kind of hang out and put our cards on the table and there's no repercussions because we kind of trust one another. And and it's not that I don't trust this guy. He's still great. And It's going to come up on page 16. We're going to (laughs) get the bottom 8th corner of the newspaper right there in the fold where nobody's ever going to see it. But maybe I'll get to clip it out and put it in a little box of things to remember Pearl by someday. That was kind of my thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, And then one morning we woke up to a text from a really good friend who the newspaper had shown up on her front porch, and it was front and center, you know, main story on the newspaper that day. And from there it kind of got syndicated to other outlets that were all underneath this same media umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um and folks just kind of took it and ran with it and I had never I'd never experienced anything like that and it was kind of you know now the news cycle repeats itself you know 60 times a day and everybody is eventually if they say something controversial enough or do something embarrassing enough or shameworthy like everybody kind of gets their headline moment where so many people are talking about what they've done and evaluating it. But now it lasts for six and a half minutes and then we move on to the next target.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, and so it it kind of like we kept hearing, I did a, a call from somebody that says, hey, your family's on the AOL homepage. What is happening? Or, hey, uh, the Times of London has has covered... This this is weird. How did they find out? And I didn't under, I didn't even understand how media syndication worked. Yeah. So it didn't take long before the heat started coming down really, really, really hard. The the folks on the the left were upset that we didn't um, deliver Pearl at twenty weeks, as the as the doctor had advised, um, and they had assumed, you know. That, because I didn't decide to take my child's life, that I was somehow now an outspoken advocate for the pro life movement. I am extremely pro life um but I'm that way from like you know conception to the grave. It's not just dealing with newborns, yeah, and then folks on the right were upset that we were on the Tennessee state insurance and how much it was costing the state to have a kid like pearl being alive um and then folks in the church not our specific church that we go to um but in you know the universal church were upset that we had they used the word blamed god for creating pearl this way and i would have used the word I credit him with creating Pearl, um, but so the heat was kind of coming in from all directions about this, and people were feeling the freedom to analyze and dissect and and kind of speak into every aspect of our life, which was so weird. And then the kickback that I got was, "Hey, man, you did the interview; you wanted this."
1: Oh my god! And I just
2: didn't—I didn't even know about. I didn't even know about that segment of society. Yeah, you just don't... I didn't think there were any repercussions like that just because I assumed everybody loved and celebrated Pearl in the same way that we did and
3: <clears throat>
2: that specifically within the church, like, we're eager to give God glory for the things that he is blessing humanity with. Um, and then even folks on the... The Christian right were feeling the need to dissect whether as believers this was this was a smart or selfish move because it seems as though we're taxing the system and, and taking funds that could be used more beneficially for kingdom work than what Pearl was bringing to the table. It's just so, so weird. It was so weird and it was so dark. Um, and so we kind of went through the emotions of at first, like all of these words were really, really, really hurtful um, and that lasted for maybe thirty six to forty eight hours, and then we found comedy and because you could Google Pearl's name at that time, and you know dozens and dozens and dozens of writings would pop up, and we were just hanging out in our little seven hundred square foot home in East Nashville. Uh, trying to enjoy some family time and cleaning up dirty diapers and helping this little girl breathe and doing feeding tube things. And people all over the world were just raging and so up in arms about this. But looking back, I doubt they really were. I think they just wanted to talk and say stuff. I doubt they were thinking about us as much as they talked like they were thinking about us. Yeah, You know how like when a celebrity passes, then all of a sudden everybody comes out of the woodwork of having been a lifelong appreciator of the work that this particular person has done and you've never heard them mention their name before. There was that sort of thing of like, oh, this is just disingenuous. But instead of it being disingenuous in a good way, it's just or like celebrating something good that you don't really care about. You're just taking apart and shaming something you don't really care about.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: but so then it went. It went from the comedy to just sheer sadness. I've seen how many people just missed the boat on mm-hmm. what God had done, and our you know simple, unimpressive little family. Like he just dropped this glory bomb. And everyone in our immediate community was able to see it. And there were people from other parts of the world who reached out and celebrated alongside of us. But that stuff never gets noise on the Internet or no one ever writes about that sort of thing because it's just not interesting to people. So we kind of saw both sides at the same time. And, of course, the, the light always outshines the dark. And eventually we just stopped even reading anything anybody wrote because it didn't matter,
1: you know? Yeah, 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 that's good. Um, real quick, would you – I want to ask you about your kids and stuff, but will you just tell me how Pearl's doing now?
2: She is in a great spot now. Um, she had the tracheotomy done last year. Um and has slowly become ventilator dependent over the last year, and she is very much that now. Um, but she's doing great there's There's a lot more work for everyone else involved, but it has made her life substantially easier. She doesn't have to work hard to breathe anymore. Um, the seizures are under control now, not meaning she doesn't have them anymore, but she doesn't have hundreds of them in a day. Anymore mm-hmm. like she used to. Um, She's resting mm-hmm. really well. Um, we're in a good spot with all the doctors and the, the care plan, and everyone mm-hmm. seems to be on the same page. She's more homebound now than she used to be, only because there's so much equipment to take in and out to go anywhere. And so it has to be a magnificent payoff for us <laughs> yeah. to... To pony up and do it and we have to have the resources on the front end and the back end like if we've had a taxing anything we're not leaving the house or if we know that we have a taxing something coming up we're not
3: leaving the house
1: yeah um, yeah
2: just so much so much but yeah I would say she's going to get spot now that's
1: so good um, so when I was looking through your Instagram feed and I highly recommend what is it what's your um, tag again so people can see or do you not want them to
2: no, that's fine. Um E Brown underscore photo. I okay. started as a professional photography endeavor to market my work and then quickly saw nah. Uh, there's there's much more important things going on than that. And so I didn't last very long and have switched over to just sharing kind of what God's doing in our family and what it's like here and all that.
1: Well, that's so good. I'm obsessed with all your family pictures. Um, I told you one time I was (laughs) looking at them in a coffee shop. I'm uncontrollably crying, like when you're trying to stop and people are side-eyeing you. But um, one of the pictures that I think even one of my kids cried just because of how sweet it is, and I think them having Uh, a child with special needs can relate. But one of the pictures is a picture of Brennan and Abby um, when you guys were at your Make-A-Wish trip to Disney, and they did not like the stares that Pearl was getting. And so they tried to disguise her with sunglasses and a hat, which was the cutest thing. And um, they have such an awareness and compassion for Pearl. So what qualities do you see in Brennan and Abby that you think are a direct result from having Pearl as a sister?
2: That's fascinating. I I totally agree they do have qualities as a direct result. It's tough to know because I don't have a child who's not Pearl's sibling and so I've never raised a child who's not to be able to to compare and contrast or like to look at the differences. Um but certainly they are extremely compassionate, they're patient, they're loving. They value different things than a lot of their peers. Um a lot of there's a lot of similarities as well. But I think what invigorates them most is family togetherness with her. The life that they remember has been primarily the life with her. They were two and four when she was born. And so there's not a lot there before Pearl.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
2: they're just great kids. And they're certainly, they have all the normal kids' sin that every other kid deals with. Um, and then most of us adults probably deal with too. But they're very aware and they're they're conscious of how the world around them is interpreting our family and life with Pearl.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: I think they just had enough that day. Usually uh usually they notice all of that stuff, all the eye cutting, all the whole like people walk past you at the mall and you see them kinda nudging each other with elbows and kind of tilting their heads in our direction to get somebody to look. But they're keenly aware of all of that stuff. Um, But I don't know that it eats them alive in the ways that it does me some days and Ruth
1: some days. Yeah. Um, One of the favorite, my favorite things that you um, told me about your kids is how when something's wrong in their world or they're upset, they tend to not go to you or Ruth. They'll go sit with Pearl and they have a sense of peace there. Would you just tell us about that?
2: I don't really understand it. I've certainly observed it. There's something there that I think comes from hey, if Pearl's all right, then I'm going to be all right. They know that Pearl's problems are much, much more intense than most of the problems that they, they deal with. And yeah. I, there's a comfort there that they find, and, and I don't quite understand it all and it might be cuz i have this too where she's a comfort to me because she's a constant reminder that god is going to care for me and so i find comfort there too when i'm reminded that he cares for pearl and 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 i am i'm learning that he cares for me he's in control and he's loving and he's good and He's got our best interests at heart. And there's nothing that we need to bring to the table to complete the equation. Other than faith. But even that is a gift from him. It's not something we actually can drum up. In ourselves.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned this earlier about saying how it takes about an, just an enormous amount of time and effort to get your stuff in the car and, and go out. And I think that to some degree, I think people, parents of children with special needs, to some degree, just deal with not being able to do kind of like normal tasks as other families around them. You guys probably to an extreme. So when we were talking, you were telling me how you guys purposely set the bar low, Um, and we were laughing, but you you just said that you do. You set the bar low for your family, and I love this phrase, that you choose togetherness um, over doing lots of activities or being separated, but that you are choosing togetherness. So will you just explain how you guys came to that decision and um what you've seen from it?
3: That yeah, likely
2: likely was another one of those backdoor things where you're either gonna kick back against this or you're gonna learn to survive or thrive in the midst of the difficulties. So you just adjust your your perspective and your expectation because your circumstances aren't going to change, know it's not going to all of a sudden get really easy to take Pearl out and do things with her. Um, and so the other option is to learn the the value in what you've been given, and to steward that life well, instead of constantly aiming for a different life. Yeah, I think that was probably a backdoor thing where we didn't consciously come to that conclusion, but we observed that through our life. you're Yeah, you're either going to be content or you're going to go crazy. And if you just stop at content, um, it's less enjoyable than if you push it another stop up to actually preference instead of just dealing with it. So yeah, we kind of learned to appreciate that approach to life. I don't know if that really answers what you're asking, maybe it does.
1: Well, yeah, I just think, like, what I love about your family is the first time I, I got off the phone with you, I just felt like so many things that you guys do and how you how you live is so counterculture, and I think it's because your value system is counterculture. And, you know, I feel like here, or I'm sure all over the United States, it's like you got to get your kids in sports super early so that they can, you know, do all, they, they just have to be at a certain degree of of, you know I mean I have a daughter who dances all the time but there is I think just that pressure that you we cultivate our kids by putting them in things and doing things and um, you know I I find us really busy we used to eat dinner together all the time and now at this stage we're not but I just I love how that you guys choose being together and enjoying like you said your life as a family over just Going crazy by trying to live a certain way that's just not feasible.
2: Yep, yeah. And we have have come to appreciate that. And it is the life that we now prefer.
1: I think that's good just how you said even before that your kids really value family. They do. And it's not that they don't want
2: for other stuff, but they're kind of like us in that either they're going to go crazy trying to have ambition toward things that God is not aiming for in your life or they're going to learn to seek out What is it that you're aiming for with my life? And I just want to abide in that instead of trying to craft a vision for myself because we've seen over and over again with Pearl that what he's aiming for is usually much harder and on the front end, much less desirable than what we think we want. Mm-hmm. But hindsight has proven over and over again that what he desires for us is better than what we desire for ourselves.
1: Man, that's exactly my last five years. I just, you just summed it up, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was so, I was like, yes, yes, yes. Um, so what I felt like I so received from your family and and your talks is just your whole idea yeah. of value and even, even how... Um, You've said before, it's not just about always coming to the table and bringing something, but it's learning to receive from God and, you know, from one another. And I love that, um, just the value that you place on pro-life. So one, I was watching this interview you did with Significant Insights on YouTube, um, and you made this profound statement about how there is a popular sentiment in the fight for pro-life that is perhaps unintentionally undermining human dignity so can you read what you wrote or just tell me about some of the revelations you came to concerning value yeah I don't
2: have it in front of me right now and I don't even know where it came from Um, I was just thinking I'd read something and might have even been during like pro-life appreciation month or whatever they the official title of it is but it's just that argument that like, hey, you you don't need to abort your kids. You never know if you're aborting the next Mother Teresa. You don't know if you're aborting the next President of the United States or the next Billy Graham. And it was all these things that Pearl is never going to be. And, and so the, the argument just kind of seemed to detract more from not aborting a kid like her than it does to helping support that cause. Like, She's never gonna be those things. She can't talk. She doesn't move on her own. She'll never walk. Can't really see or hear. She's never spoken. Like, she's never gonna be any of those things and so that is a horrible argument mm-hmm. for why we should not have terminated. We shouldn't we shouldn't abort kids like her because God is obviously doing something and you don't interrupt God when he's at work. Um And it turns out, though I don't want to reduce Pearl's life to anything utilitarian, um, she has been a magnificent force in kingdom work, which is a fascinating thing when you think how frequently we all try to bring something to the table and, and try to bring our gifts to kingdom work, and she's not doing a doggone thing, and it's changed so many in our community. Certainly she has changed the other four of us in her family. Mm-hmm. Um but she's doing so much by not doing anything. So I guess it's God doing it all through her, not not necessarily in spite of her, but he is just actively using her and she has not had to do a single thing for that to happen. She has she's never tried a day in her life for anything. And she's not going to be the next Billy Graham.
1: But in that thread, um, you are—you have had, and I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this, but you, you've told me um, just a lot, you've had a lot of encounters, like that doctor um, in from the other part of the hospital. But you've had a, a lot of encounters with people that are like these incredibly profound and holy moments because of Pearl. So um, will you tell me about some of them that you can think of?
2: Yeah, that's a good word. It happens a lot, even now, all these years in. I'll be out and about somewhere, and somebody will come up and be like, man, this is going to sound awkward, and I feel uncomfortable even saying so. But are you Pearlstead? (laughs) Of course I am. And then they'll have something they want to share that has been meaningful to them oftentimes life-changing to them that they have observed because of Pearl, whether it's something we've shared about her or something they have just seen on their own through her. Um, Yeah, it happens all the time. And it is awkward for the person saying it, but it's never awkward for me to hear it. What dad doesn't love to hear, the impact that their kids are having on someone else's life, especially when it's a positive impact. Maybe only when it's a positive impact. <laughs> um, but,
3: yeah, it, it it happens
2: all the time. And it just goes to show that it's not Pearl doing anything. It's, it's God using his people to do what he wants to do. It, it's fascinating. It does happen all the time. And it's always something that I appreciate. Because as an adult... I'm constantly trying to make a difference in my community and in society, and you know we all want to be used and I think she's probably maybe brought more to the table than I have or anybody else that I know has, and she has never tried to do any of it. It's God using the the weak things in the world, and it's not to our shame. Like, it's it's just a privilege for us to, to to watch him work, you know? It's not as though he loves her more or that he is aiming to, to do more with her than us, um, but he does use the weak things of the world to confound the wise, to confound me. Yeah, and I think that might just be the heart of what he's aiming for.
1: Yeah, I think so. You've had that effect on me. Your whole family has. And I think just the way that you love her, um, it just, it'll wreck people (laughs) in all the good ways.
3: She's easy to love.
1: Well, thank you so much. I'm going to ask you again, if you don't mind, to come back and answer just a few more questions that have to do more with the effects of your story. Um, Would that be okay?
2: Absolutely. I'd love to.
1: All right. Thank you so much, Eric. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jen. I you did a great it. job. You did a great job.
2: Thank you.
0: And again, if you'd like to follow Eric Brown on Instagram, you can find him at e Brown underscore photo. You could also read his blog, disproportionatejoy.com, or check out his work at ericbrownphoto.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Flesh and Gold. And for other interviews, please visit www.fleshandgold.com.